Hebrews 7, verses 18 through 28. Thank you, Susan, for doing so. Good morning. Hebrews 7, 18 through 28. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and you will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have the joy of introducing a new friend, a recent friend at least of mine and Joshua's. I'm so glad you get to meet him. I mentioned recently that Joshua and I have been attending the monthly Pillar Network meetings held at the Hill Church. And we had Pastor Jimmy with us about four weeks ago, and he talked about the Pillar Network. These meetings for Joshua and I have been a real blessing. They've allowed us to have fellowship with other like-minded pastors on a monthly basis. And that's something Joshua and I have really come to cherish and, and value, the need for and benefit of fellowship with others who are ministering and believing in a similar fashion. Well, in attending these Pillar Network meetings, I recall maybe the very first one sitting next to a new pastor there at the Hill Church named Paul. And I was immediately enjoying him because what I encountered with Paul was someone who was earnestly, intentionally taking an interest in others, asking very deliberate questions to find out about how you're doing. And then I found that the word of God just sort of oozed out of every pore in his body to encourage you. And I was just telling him a moment ago, I, I've not met many people like him who, who exude scripture and sort of effortlessly quote passage after passage to minister God's word intentionally as often as he can. So in times of discussion about church issues, he does the same Bible text after Bible text being quoted. And so Joshua and I were, were delighted that he was able to come and that you would be able to meet him because that's the kind of man and the kind of pastor he is. So Paul, would you please come and let's welcome Paul Pitts, please, as he ministers to us today. 
Well, good morning. Grace and peace, Grace Church, East County. It is a privilege and blessing for me to uh, be with you this morning to worship our God and to open up his word. So uh, maybe you're still there, but we're going to be looking at Hebrews 7, 25 today. Hebrews 7, 25. My title for this message is actually just a question. What is Jesus doing now? What is Jesus doing now? thankful for uh, your pastor and Brother Joshua. They have been an encouragement to me uh, with their love for Christ, their love for God's people, and the gentleness with which uh, they speak and seek to shepherd you all has been exemplary for me. Uh, Once again, it is a blessing for me to stand before you all. I often feel like the Apostle Paul, the least of the saints, but The grace has been given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus. So this is a blessing for me this morning. I ask uh, you to bow your heads and we'll pray and then we'll look into God's word. Father in heaven, uh, we pray to you in Jesus' name, in the the name of Christ, our Savior. He who humbled himself and took on flesh. uh, He who died in our place on our behalf. Uh, We pray to you in the name of Jesus, the only mediator between God and man. We pray to you uh, through the name of Jesus. He is the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, our our living hope, our all in all. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonder of creation. But I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, especially in your word and fully and finally in your son. And I ask this morning. That by way of the Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts and minds to understand your word and to behold the glory of the Lord Jesus. Unveiled that we may become more like him from one degree of glory to another. I pray today uh, you would help us uh, to see uh, the truth of your scripture and all of who Christ is for us and to press on in the faith. I pray, Heavenly Father. Uh, that the Holy Spirit would work in and through your word in the hearts of your people. Give us eyes further to see, ears to hear, and hearts of flesh to believe and to embrace truth. May Christ be exalted and you be glorified by the work of the Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 7.25, God's word reads, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I spent some time in L.A. recently, and L.A. has the return of the mass, totally. And it just reminds me of how 2020 and somewhat into this year has just been a time to remember. Uh, Whether it's the pandemic, lockdowns, far too many Zoom meetings, uh, far too often breathing through masks, political division, racial tension, difficulty in the church, 
obstacles to simply meeting at a, at a, as a church. Problems have been wide scale, and that doesn't even speak to the personal struggles and turmoil, tragedies, whether emotionally, spiritually, relationally, or mentally, that all of you have probably went through in some respect. Though I'm sure many, many of us have some, tri some triumphs that we can highlight from the past year and a half, this has been a full season. But it's the book of Hebrews that tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We must trust and believe that. And such a year should move us not only to remember and cling to why he came, but to ask the question, what is Jesus doing now in, in, in the midst of this crazy season and tumultuous time? What is Jesus doing now? Because we serve the risen Savior and Lord, who in this very moment is alive as our living hope through it all. So I repeat the question, what is Jesus doing now? And in one sense, there's many things we can say because Jesus as God is infinite, limitless, all-powerful, sovereign over everything, with all authority over heaven and earth, upholding his church and the whole universe and everything else. But the Bible is clear. The one thing that Jesus is doing right now is interceding for his people. In other words, petitioning for his own as the great high priest. Simply put, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God praying for Christians, praying for you and me. My brother and sister in Christ, we rightly and often focus on our initial salvation, all that Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, such as total forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, adoption, justification by faith. The fact that by grace through faith, God declares us righteous. Jesus bore our sin, took our punishment, and now we bear his righteousness forever. God grants and imputes and credits the perfection of Jesus to us. He sees us as he sees Jesus when we embrace Christ by faith and not by works. Those are glorious truths that we often and should meditate upon every day. Yet we acknowledge that the beautiful truth of justification is linked to what Jesus did in the past. My brothers and sisters, intercession is what Jesus is doing in the present. Moment by moment, applying afresh all of his saving work to us with the Father. Jesus' intercession is similar, but more than a parent interceding for, a, for their child in a parent-teacher meeting that's not going so well. Or like a sports agent on behalf of his client speaking with the team. It's similar to that, but so much more. Jesus' intercession is him at the right hand of God the Father praying on our behalf. And Jesus prays for us as the only mediator and advocate we need, appealing to his righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection, his saving works, not our merits, not anything else of the sort. And the Father gladly agrees. So this is defining a bit the intercession of Christ. And the truth of the ongoing intercession of Christ 
it doesn't mean that the Father is reluctant to embrace us. And to be very clear on that, he's the one who in love gave and sent the Son to be our Savior, ordained him as our great high priest, and he's overjoyed to say yes to Jesus' appealing on our behalf. So what is Jesus doing now? Hebrews 7.25 beautifully answers that question, along with reminding us why he came. And it is my prayer that looking at this verse would be of nourishment to your souls, comforting to your hearts and mind, and propel you to press on in the faith. Central truth for you all today is that Hebrews 7.25 calls Christians to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. This text calls you to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. We'll look at this one verse in two parts, uh, with the first heading being why Jesus came. One verse in two parts, first heading being why Jesus came. Look with me to the first portion of verse 25. It says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And we pause there. Now, that word, conse consequently, is a loaded one, contextually speaking. Uh, so far in the book of he he Hebrews, the author has labored to show Jesus as superior, to make plain that Jesus is better. He set forth Christ to be the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, told us that in chapter 1 that he sits at the right hand of God because his work is finished. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron and all the Levitical high priests. Jesus is the better and final great high priest. And a priest is a minister who represented people before God as mediators and acted on their behalf in relation to God through animal sacrifices for sin and intercessory prayers. But Jesus is the better and final high priest because he's given the final perfect sacrifice for sin in himself and he'll never die again. So his priesthood on our behalf continues forever in the new and better covenant. Jesus helps us Having been tempted by sin as we are, yet without sin, he's able to sympathize with us, have with our weaknesses, and he deals gently with us in the face of temptation. Since through his sacrifice, he satisfied the wrath of God. He's the better and best high priest we can ask for. Forever all we have and yet all we need. That's a quick summation of the seven chapters thus far and all that the author of Hebrews is building up to and why he says consequently. In other words, therefore, in, in light of everything I've said thus far, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Jesus is able to save, my brothers and sisters. Jesus is right now and continually, always and unceasingly able to save. If you allow me a sentence of 
bad grammar. Jesus is never not able to save sinners. He is able to save. He's the only one capable, suitable, and sufficient, and the only one qualified to save sinners. You cannot save yourself. Your grandmother's prayers cannot save your soul. The pope or saints or anything like that cannot save you. Only Christ can save sinners. He is truly God, and therefore the perfect sacrifice for the eternal penalty of our sins, and yet truly man, therefore the perfect substitute for us as sinners before God. But implicitly, this is not only telling us that Jesus is able to save, but that he's also willing. Jesus is willing and able to save sinners. When I was about four years old, me and my cousins were going to the pool, and my little sister was with us. And at the time, she was about one years old, I think. And in our foolish eagerness, uh, we ran to the pool in the apartment uh, just in front of our moms. And somehow, uh, the gate was open, which didn't often happen. They had to open it up for us. And I knew, you know, even running to the pool you know, as a more cautious guy, I knew that I didn't have my floaties. So there was no way I was going to just jump in the pool. My little sister has always been the more fearless, uh, thrill seeker of us two. So at one years old, we go into the pool and she jumps in and begins to drown as she jumped into the deep end of the pool. And those few seconds felt like an hour. I, 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 I can still picture uh, the scene. I was at a standstill, terrified because in my thinking mind, I felt paralyzed knowing that I can't swim. So it would just be a more of a mess of a situation if I jump in and now we're both just flailing around. My point is I was willing, but I wasn't able to help my sister. In a few se but just in a few seconds, uh, there was, I can never forget, this woman that jumped in the pool and saved my sister. She seen the need and was willing and able to help to save her. And she did. And it was to her own detriment. Just days before that, she had surgery on her stomach. She had some type of ab ab abdominal incision. But in an infinitely greater way, Jesus seen our need and was willing and able to save and rescue us through, the, through living the righteous life we haven't lived in dying and receiving the wrath of God against our sins, which we're saved from. Jesus is right now still continually willing and able to save. The same willingness, the same ability, that hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is why he came and why we celebrate every Lord's Day and every day, Christian. And this is why, if you haven't, you must repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus today. There is no other hope for you. God is infinitely holy and infinitely good, worthy of our worship and to be cherished and enjoyed. But we're sinners by nature and choice, and our rebellion turned against him, sinning in every way, even if it's just indifference to the God who made us. 
And the wages of sin is death, eternal death, because you sinned against an eternal God. But God in his love, mercy, and grace sends his son, Jesus, the Savior who is willing and able to save, who died for sinners and rose again, that we may come to him in repentant faith. Come to Christ today. Turn from sin and self, thinking you can save yourself, and believe upon the Lord Jesus. He's willing and able to save. Jesus is ready to receive and rescue you. John Owen, a Puritan of old, said this, We need to know that Christ is both willing and able to help us meet, to help us and meet all our needs. We may well ask, what will Christ not do for us? He who emptied and humbled himself, who came down from the infinite heights of his glory to take our human nature into union with his divine nature, will he not meet all our needs and answer according to his wisdom all our prayers for help? Will he not do all that is necessary for us to be eternally saved? Will he not be a sanctuary for us? Christ is indeed most willing and able to help us and save us. He's willing to save because he came, and he's able to save because of who he is and what he's done. Christ is willing and able to save us. This is why he came, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Mark 2.17, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, the statement is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The beloved holiday Christmas tells us that the only one able to save us is willing to do so. So he was born, and so he came. But notice as we look back to verse 25, look with me. The text doesn't stop at save. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost. It's a unique word and phrase that's not often used in our time and culture, but it's filled with meaning. Commentators have said to the uttermost denotes comprehensiveness, completeness, and exhaustive wholeness. With reference to time, it's forever and to the end. So Jesus is willing and able to save to the uttermost, meaning Jesus saves completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. Jesus saves completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. He saves to the uttermost. Now, I was in college at San Diego State, not too far from here, and playing football. It was a sport that offered a full-ride scholarship which meant school was 100% completely and totally for the whole time paid for. You could say it was a scholarship to the uttermost. But there's other sports that gave partial scholarships, meaning the sport and the school will pay for some, but you have to work or get loans or whatever else to figure out the rest. It's a partial scholarship, not to the uttermost. Understand, Jesus is a to the uttermost Savior. He is a full scholarship Savior. 
Christian, you have no partial salvation with Jesus that you therefore have to then work and figure out the rest. He saves to the uttermost. The text doesn't say Jesus is able to save for the most part. Then you have to work. Then you have to go to purgatory. Then you have to clear the rest. No, Jesus is willing and able to save to the uttermost, completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. He's not a partial savior, but he's a to the uttermost savior, and he won't lose you, and you won't lose him. This is good news because I am, and you are, a to the uttermost sinner, completely and totally by nature and choice a sinner. And we need a to the uttermost Savior. But we have one in Christ who is always willing and able to save. Jesus won't run out of gas as our Savior, leaving us stranded in redemptive history. Dane Ortland said this, to the uttermost means God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed and defeated, Jesus knows us to the uttermost, and he saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. Amen. In verse 25, it still goes on. It says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. This is not for everyone, Jesus' salvation to the uttermost, but, but, but only for those who recognize their need before a holy God and draw near to Jesus as Savior. This speaks to the exclusivity of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, and him alone. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. There is no other to green pastures of eternal life. And in Acts 4, 12, Peter said, there is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. It's only those who draw near to God through him. This is the exclusivity of Jesus. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So in view of this truth, my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to practically in your life daily, consider Jesus. Hebrews 3.1 says that simple command to consider Jesus. Hebrews 12.3 says to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Jesus, meaning in your life, think deeply and greatly upon Christ. Every week on Sundays often, I receive an iPhone screen time notification. And it tells me how much, on average, I've looked at my screen that week. And it's often in hours, crazy to say. And could that be the reason that we're often angry, discontent, anxious, fearful, or not, or not able to get past our past? Because we're stuck to our phones and so many other different things and not considering Jesus, not thinking much of our Savior who has done so much. Consider him in all of his glory. Consider Christ in all of his sufficiency as Savior and high priest who's willing and able to save 
consider the person and work of Jesus. He's not cold or merely tolerating us. Or he, he doesn't save by force or obligation. He's not a partial savior, but a to the uttermost savior, who in your worst sins and moments, Jesus is to the uttermost your savior. Consider Jesus, my brothers and sisters. Think often of him. May he have preeminence in your thoughts, mind, heart, and affections. But also, understand this, especially if you are here today and don't know Christ. See from this text that if you are to walk away and to be right with God, it is only through Jesus. And Christian, be emboldened today that when you go out into your life and bear witness to Jesus, you are bearing witness to the only one who can save. In our evangelism, and in our bearing witness to Jesus, we're not shysty salesmen that are just trying to trick people. We are giving them the only hope, the only way to life and eternal life and forgiveness, the Lord Jesus. Christ alone, and he is all sufficient. And also, I just want to encourage you to come to Jesus. Consider Jesus, but also come to Jesus. He's He's he 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 came willing and able to save and to help you. Jesus has invited us to come. In Matthew 11, he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." In John 6:37, Jesus says, "Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out." Come to Christ. That's not only for non-Christians. If you are a believer here today, daily come to Christ. Draw near to him. He meets our needs. He answers our prayers. He keeps us. Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in your flesh. Philippians 3.3, 3, go to him. Glory in him. Be near to our Savior to the uttermost. Verse 25 in this first portion has showed us why Jesus came. As we look at this next clause in the verse, we'll see what Jesus is doing now. What Jesus is doing now. Hebrews 7.25, it reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus' present intercession for us is presented in Scripture here as the explicit reason why he is able to save to the uttermost. As our great high priest who is unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who doesn't need to give sacrifices for himself, but who gave the final sacrifice and now lives forevermore. As our great high priest, Jesus represents us before the presence of God. He speaks on our behalf, and he's presently praying for us on the basis of his righteous life, his substitutionary death, and his resurrection. In the court of heaven, Christian, you don't represent yourself like a criminal without a lawyer. Jesus does that for you, child of God. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. He is our champion, our shepherd who never fails. Look back at verse 25. It says, since he 
always lives to make intercession for them. Notice that word always. Always includes this present moment and means at all times, continually and constantly. In your good and and fruitful times, for sure, Jesus lives to intercede for you. But in the worst times, in the face of the most heartbreaking sins, in the moments of relational strife and failure, the toughest temptations, the deepest despair, the darkness of doubt and shame or anxiety or panic attacks when you feel like the world is closing in on you, remember, he always lives to make intercession for you, Christian. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. He always lives to do this, to pray and to intercede for his sheep. Jesus is the resurrected Lord who died and is alive forevermore. And this is what he's doing right now for you who have come to him and who follow him. Jesus is not only for us back then in in his living and his dying and his resurrecting. He is right now for us through his intercessory prayers. This is the loveliness of his heart. This is the constancy and the consistency of his care. Years ago, within the last decade or so, uh, all the rage was in the concept of love languages. There's a book out and studies and everything, knowing how you loved and how you receive and give love. And the different love languages were words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, uh, the giving of gifts, and, or, or a quality time. All great and nice things. Got nothing against those. Uh, but if you can allow me a moment to spiritualize things a little bit, I want to add one to the love languages. I never feel more loved when I know or hear someone praying for me. To the God of the universe, because I know how deeply I need it how deeply I need to pray and need people to pray on my behalf. But it's unspeakably consoling to know that the Son of God, Jesus, right now, is praying for me, knowing all my flaws and faults and failures, but in his redeeming and transforming love, this is what he's doing right now. This is the Jesus we serve and celebrate. He who always lives to make intercession for his sheep. And the reason behind this is that we need it. We wouldn't persevere without the preserving prayers of Jesus. This is our good shepherd holding us fast, not letting our faith fail even when we fail. Dave Nortland said again, Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail on earth. He does not forgive us through the cross and then hope we make it the rest of the way. The truth of the cross reassures us of what Christ has done in the past, and the truth of Jesus' intercession reassures us of what he's doing in the present, end quote. Romans eight thirty four and 35 give us four reasons why the Christian can't be condemned. But look what it also says at the end. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God, who indeed is, present tense, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These verses connect Jesus's inseparable love, not only to his sacrificial death and resurrection, but also to his present intercession for us. Jesus's inseparable love is actively and practically expressed in this very moment through his, inter- through his intercessory prayers on our behalf. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But pulling from scriptural truth here, I think it's proper and biblical to say, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, but who loves me and prays for me. And again, these intercessory prayers are on the basis of his righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. And Jesus, in doing this, is not weighing the scales of your life. You know, what are their good works? And I'll pray for them more. Bad things they did, I'm going to pray for them less. That's not the basis of his intercessory prayers. It's his own glory, his own finished work in the gospel. Pastor John MacArthur said, whenever we sin, Jesus says to the Father, Put that on my account. My sacrifice has already paid for it. Theologian of old John Calvin said, Jesus turns the Father's eyes to his Jesus turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness to avert his gaze from our sins. Jesus so reconciles the Father's heart to us that by his intercession, he prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. We will not fall away, nor be rejected by our Father. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says we can with boldness or confidence draw near to the throne of grace, where we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Because God dealt with Jesus according to our sins. And Jesus paid for our iniquities and and intercedes for us on the basis of that finished work. This is the great assurance and security that we have in Christ. That he holds us fast. And it also shows us how seriously Jesus takes our sin. Jesus died for our sins. Resurrected in victory over our sins and intercedes now in the face of our sin. The intercession of Christ should embolden you towards repentance, holiness, and fighting sin. It shouldn't lead you to take it lightly because Jesus doesn't take it lightly. In his death, resurrection, ascension, and present ministry as our high priest. But Jesus, our Savior, does not allow sin to have the last word in our life. That belongs to him. He always lives to make intercession for us. And no one knows this better than Peter. 
on the night of Jesus's arrest, Judas for sure betrayed Jesus, but Peter flat out denied him three times. He had a horrible night as well. But then Judas perished. And we see in scripture that Peter repented and fruitfully followed Jesus all his days and was ultimately martyred for Christ. What's the difference between Judas and Peter, both having horrible nights on Jesus' arrest and crucifixion? It's not that Peter pulled himself up by his bootstraps and got it together. The difference was the same intercessory prayers of Jesus for his own that we've been talking about today for Peter. You can write down, I'll just read it, Luke 22, 31 through 34. It says, and this is Jesus speaking to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter because Peter was one of his own. By, by coming to him in faith. That was the difference. And it'll be the difference for you and me when we stand before Christ and our faith becomes sight and we see our Savior face to face. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But our reply really should be, well done, good and faithful master. You sustained me and brought me home. As one pastor said to you, O Christian, Jesus is praying for you. He is praying your faith will not fail no matter how far you fall. Your faith has not failed, my brothers and sisters, in 2020 and through whatever else. And it will never fail because Jesus prays for us. And at the end of verse 25, we see he always lives to make intercession for them. I just want to make note of that plural pronoun. It says he makes intercession for them. And it refers to the same group that he mentioned earlier, those who draw near to God through him. His intercession isn't for everybody. He's not talking about universal salvation here, but only those who draw near to God through faith in Christ alone, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But for those of us who have come to God through Christ alone, and we are fighting the good fight, running the race, and keeping the faith, we are prayed for by Jesus, and we ought to walk together following Jesus. Jesus prays for his bride. Jesus prays for the church. We need to never separate ourselves from it. Jesus has the power to save us, but he also has the power to keep us. And he's willing and able to do, and he does so through his intercessory prayers. Having seen what Jesus is doing now by way of application, I just want to encourage you to treasure this truth of the intercession of Christ. We think so much of his life, death, and resurrection. But forget not the ascension of Jesus and him sitting at the right hand of God as our mediator, advocate, and high priest who lives to make intercession for us practical way to remember the intercession of Christ 
is to apply it to your heart and mind, to think about it daily when you pray, when you're going through it, to know Jesus is praying for me in, in, in the face of memory of past sin or in the face of temptation or when you come to confess sin or just when life is hard. You can know my Savior is praying for me. Michael Reeves said there's no place for despair as long as our Jesus is on the throne. Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And let this present ongoing intercession of Jesus drive you to prayer. Personal prayer, but certainly intercessory prayers for other Christians. Be like your Savior and pray for brothers and sisters who are following and needing and treasuring Jesus together with you in this race that God has set before us. The intercessory prayer should move us to prayer, to a life of prayer and praying for one another. Gladly praying for one another, knowing Jesus is doing the same. And just be encouraged by this text to confidently press on. There's a cloud of witnesses above us. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you don't go weary or faint-hearted. Jesus is praying for you. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ and remember what he's doing now until we see him face to face. We can have confident assurance, my brothers and sisters, because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. That's why he came and it's what he's doing now. And in the actual high priestly prayer of Jesus that we have in Scripture, John 17, before his arrest, his last request is in John 17, 24, where he says, Father, I desire that they also that you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Hear that verse. Jesus prayed that we be with him and see his glory. Jesus wants us to be with him, and he's going to get us there, and he's praying for us until we do. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, we do pray to you in the mighty name of Jesus our all-sufficient Savior and all-supreme Lord. I thank you for the high priestly ministry of Christ, uh, for Jesus who gave a perfect sacrifice to wash away all of our sin, to perfectly atone that we may be free as your children, freely forgiven and made new. But I thank you that he didn't just go to heaven and he's just sitting there. He sits because his work is finished and he ministers for us. He loves us as our inter- as he who intercedes for us, as our mediator, as our advocate. I thank you, God, that Jesus is for us now and that you are for us. May this encourage your people. May, Father, this propel them to press on. 
May this encourage them in the face of remembering an ongoing sin that Jesus saves to the uttermost. He intercedes for us always. He saves completely and prays constantly. What a friend, what a savior we have in Jesus. We praise you, Father. In his name, amen.